This is Paradoxical, the podcast about the psychology behind big success in small business. I'm your host, Steve McCready, and today my guest is Forrest Linden from Clarity Lab. Hey, Forrest, how's it going? I'm doing great, man. It's great to be here. Thank you. Well, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Looking forward to the chance to talk business and some other things. And we'll see if we get into cycling. Forrest and I had a little back and forth and we were talking about having him on the show. And it turns out we're both uh, Zwifters. And if you know what that means, you probably are one too. And if you don't, well, you can look at the link I'll put in the show notes and find out more about it if you're interested. So Forrest, give us a little bit of a background. Who are you? What do you do? Forrest Linden. I come from Boulder, Colorado, and I run a, a website called Clarity Lab. It started out as Tech Husband, and so my business was focused on helping women entrepreneurs get a handle on all of the tech pieces needed to build a business that sells information or knowledge. And that worked great for a while for branding, and it kind of took off, and people loved the brand. And then I started to get a bunch of guys coming, and, <laughs> and then it got a little awkward because everybody would make jokes like, so are we going to go on a date now? And I just I just wanted some advice about what software to use, but, you know, Tech Husband. So... I ended up changing the brand over to Clarity Lab and still kept focusing on what everybody calls creators now. But for a long time, people would search around for a label for that kind of person, which is small business entrepreneur, course creators, subject matter experts. There wasn't really a great term until someone started calling them creators. I have been writing software reviews and doing consulting for people in this space for about 14 years, essentially helping them learn everything they need to learn once they get past the tech piece, because the, the tech angle of this has always been kind of my attractor and it pulled people in through whether they're Googling around for stuff to use to sell courses online. And then they would come through the door and then I would help them with that part. And they would realize through talking with them or reading some of my content that I know a lot about all of the other things that they need to learn to build a business like this. So that would lead to consulting. And there were some periods where I would build people's tech platforms for them on the side. So yeah, it's always been kind of focused on helping people build themselves an engine that allows them to monetize their knowledge. Really being able to help folks who recognize that the technology aspects of things, there, there's important stuff there. They may have tools they need to use or ways that they want to be able to engage, be online, but that they don't necessarily have or want to develop that. And so that's where you come in and can yeah. fill that role for them because not everyone's as nerdy as say like me with my IT background and is willing and wanting to learn it and do it all themselves, right? Yeah, and I kind of stumbled backwards into finding that that was a great way to draw people in because if you look at people's, even if you just want to look at from an SEO perspective of like their search intent, like what they're grunting into Google, when you're you're just starting out with an idea, one of the very first things is people will often buy a domain name and then right after that, they realize they need like a website and then payment processing, what's it called? Like they just like grunt stuff into Google and find their way around it. But that's because you can't do anything online without an online presence. That's the tech piece usually comes first right after the idea. And so I end up catching a lot of people right at the beginning of the journey, which has always worked really well for me. And it and, and allowed me to back my way into accidental discovery of writing software reviews that I could put affiliate links into back before that was really popular. And then, you know, I didn't know a lot about SEO back when I started, but I ended up in the first position for some software reviews of some apps that came out before anybody else had reviews up for them. And so I was first position without doing much SEO work at all. And then that built a second revenue stream for me, which was pretty substantial after 
several years of that. So yeah, those two things, consulting, and I've had online courses to teach people how to use software that I would review, building things out, and then doing the software reviews, which I'm still working on now. So it really, on multiple levels, really being essentially a form of technical consultants and support for folks who are really working on getting their businesses going. To start, yes, that's what gets them in the door. And then once then once we're chatting, it quickly progresses to either an overlap of both the tech stuff or and the strategy, or then it just goes, once people's tech piece is taken care of, it goes all into strategy and marketing, list building, hiring a team, creating content, launch strategy, like all of the big major areas that people tend to struggle with. I'd also get a lot of people coming out of the more expensive, you know, two or $3,000 marketing programs that people buy online mm -hmm. from any of the big gurus that are out there. Just the nature of most of those courses that they, they focus on one small area of the journey and, and people get out and they're like, cool, I know how to launch programs now, but they don't know that like the other eight areas that you need to focus on to actually build a sustainable business. There's a lot that they don't know when they get out, but they know the one area really well because the course focused on it. Again, they get out of those marketing courses, looking for software to do the thing they learn in the course. They find me and then they realize that, oh my God, can you help me with this other stuff? Because I'm really struggling with like audience building and traffic. And I don't know what this, how to do this content marketing thing that everybody's talking about. Like, what do I do? And then we just start talking with wherever they're at, like whatever the most pressing issue is in that moment. And then that starts the consulting relationship. What I'm hearing here is for you, the nature of the work that you do with Clarity Lab and that you do for your clients has sort of evolved and developed as you've been aware of and they've been articulating their pain points and their needs and their challenges and things that's led to you shifting and expanding what you do over time. Exactly. Yeah. I, I tend to come from a perspective that came out of me practicing Buddhism and meditating for 20 years, which kind of fell off when my son was born and, you know, I was sleep deprived and that kind of did a big hit on my practice. But there's a place you get to after that much meditation where you have this compassion that just kind of comes up in you and you can't stop it. It just comes out. You have to find an outlet for it. After my son was born, that's when I first started building businesses and helping people directly. That, that compassion came out and went towards helping people find a way to make money on their own because it's something that I had struggled with for a long time before I started my own businesses. And I have a lot of compassion for people like entrepreneurs breaking away from a job or just trying to start a new thing. And it's not easy. Like it's hard. Life is a struggle and we're all trying to figure it out. We're all trying to make our lives better for ourselves and our families, wherever we're at on that, that journey of, of surviving and making a thriving life. I have always shifted towards listening for where people are having trouble and finding ways that I can help them. My default setting is how can I help people first and then sell them something later? And that's why I, my discovery calls are always like, I just jump right in and start helping. Even before people said, yeah, I would love to work with you. Discovery calls are, for me, are just gathering information about where someone's at and I hear where, where their problems are. And it's like, I don't even put a heading on it. It's like, okay, now we're going to start the consulting session of this call. It's like, no, I just like, I start giving advice and suggesting and helping them. And that's, you do that for free enough. And people are like, okay, we want more of this. That help first and sell later philosophy has taken me a long way. And I've seen a lot of people that I've taught that, little phrase, use it. And if you take that stance with people and you have a good product and you check all the other 
check boxes, you know, the price is right and you're actually helping people solve a problem, you will not be short on income when you come at it from that perspective. I completely agree with you. And I'll say, though, that is something that flies in the face of some of the conventional wisdom that we see out there about marketing and selling, right? For sure. And, you know, things don't don't solve their problem on the call or whatever, because then you'll basically cost yourself a client and all of these things. But it really sounds like your experience has been very much the opposite, that by being of service and focusing on just serving and supporting these people, that leads to them choosing to engage you. Yes. There's a lot of things that I do that that do fly in the face of best practices. And I always get excited when I realize that, that I'm doing that just because I don't like I don't like doing what everybody else is doing. (laughs) Just on principle or partly on principle, but also partly because that's another philosophy of mine, a core business philosophy of like when everybody is zigging, I want to zag because I don't want to I don't want to compete with everybody else doing the same exact thing. So if everybody's doing this thing with, you know, particularly just for example, with consulting and just to use that for a moment as an example, if people are not solving problems in the first discovery call in order to get them to be curious and want to sign up and pay for like a six month consulting package, A, that doesn't ethically feel good to me. It doesn't line up with my core values. And B, I don't want to do what everybody else is doing because I want to stand out. Standing out is very difficult online right now. Everyone is overwhelmed by everything. There is so much information and knowledge being pumped out by everybody who's doing content marketing on social media, on any platform you go to. I would even take this to the extreme of like, you know, I'm coming from this position of wanting to help someone who's on a, on a call with me. That includes starting to give them help for free because I have I know that I can talk to someone for 20 hours and I still won't exhaust my knowledge that can help them because I've done it. And particularly with beginners because they're right at the beginning of the journey and they don't know what they don't know. I've been down the path several times, so I'm I'm the dude in the woods with the lantern going, hey, are you trying to get to the top of that mountain up there? Because like you're going towards a big gully over there, and I really wouldn't keep going that way. So that's me in the woods. Like I'm, I'm guiding people. If I can help them, I'm going to start doing it right away, even to the point, and this has happened multiple times, where I feel it's a moral responsibility for me to give people reality checks, even before they've signed up to say, yes, I would love to work with you particularly with beginners who don't know what they don't know and they have unrealistic expectations about whether it's how much money they can earn, how fast they can earn it, or how much it's going to cost. All the big things that are in people's minds when they're starting. I will give people reality checks about what it's like to get started building a business that sells online courses or any kind of information products that monetizes their knowledge. And in some cases, me spending 20 minutes to paint a picture of the reality of what it actually takes in terms of like how long it's going to take, how much is it going to cost, who's going to do what, and how much can you make at the end of this when you get everything up and start selling. The reality of that sometimes is a little shocking for some people who don't, they just don't know because they haven't done it yet. And there's been cases where I've given people in a discovery call a reality check because they had some way off base perception of how long it would take to get things up to the point where they wanted. There's a lot of online marketing gurus out there selling the expensive courses that like to put the easy button in front of people saying like, oh, just do some social media and you'll build a huge audience, launch your course in six weeks and you'll be making six figures. And then like, I'm exaggerating a bit, but there's been people, they're still doing it. And that's just bullshit. Like if you have actually done this, you know that that's not true. So you're misleading people. So I do the opposite, not not so much out of principle, but just because I want to help people. 
And if I see someone get on a call with me and they want to put up a website and an online course and they want to sell it for a thousand dollars and they have no audience, they have no track record, nobody knows they are, they don't even have a website up yet, and they want to get this done and make, you know, fifty thousand dollars in two months, that's completely not in touch with reality. So I will very gently start to put the reality in, in terms of, of how long this thing takes and what's possible. And I've had people email me back after the discovery call. And instead of saying, we would love to get more sessions with you, they said, you know, thank you so much for that call. You gave us so much valuable, valuable information that we realized we don't want to head down this path. And I'm like, yes, I just saved someone suffering because I knew it when I was talking to them that this was not a good match for what they wanted. But they had heard these ideas from pe people and they wanted to, you know, they got excited about the income potential. But some people, it's just not a great match. So, and I tell them, and that's not what you should do in a discovery call if you want to book, a book another client. So my commitment to helping people is stronger than my desire to make an extra thousand dollars from booking some sessions for people. I would rather have people sign up for sessions with me knowing that I can really help them solve their problems or for them to get help and realizing that this is not really the path that they thought it was. There's a number of things that you said that I, I think bear a little bit more exploration. And I want to come back to the the Buddhist piece, actually. I'm, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about that. But uh, before that, the things that you're saying, I think that are so important that don't get said enough. One, the, the piece on really recognizing that some people, the best thing you can suggest to them is either to suggest maybe you don't want to go forward or at least to really lay out the picture for them and really being clear and informed with them, even if that might ultimately cost you a client. I think you're taking more of a big picture, longer term view on this, number yep. one. And two, coming from a place that seems really oriented around true service, which is not about serving yourself, it's about serving them, right? What they yeah. need, helping them see clearly, helping them have a more workable and useful perspective on, on the truth of things before yeah. they go forward. And exactly. I think that's really a, a powerful approach. One of the other things that really sticks out to me here is that to be able to do this, you have to be really attuned to and focused on what you're hearing from your clients or potential clients when you're talking with them. Oh, hundred percent. Yep. You have to listen and then you have to listen for the stuff underneath it. And that comes, that listening comes a lot from studying of copywriting, which is a great overlap of my love of writing and also human psychology and particularly buying psychology and what gets people to take an action. So when, when you are studying how to write words that get people to click on something and get their credit card art to, to buy it, you become really attuned to what their pain points are and the trouble that they're having. And then that just starts to bleed over in conversations when you're talking with people. You just see it happening live. And so you know that from practicing your writing and finding the ways to cr get the right words on a page that will line up with people's values in your market in a way that gets them to go, oh, this guy, Forrest, totally gets me. Click, whether that's sign up for something for free or buy the course or sign up for consulting. When you spend enough thinking time, which is mostly what writing is, to dig down below the surface level of what people want because you're looking for the ultimate benefits and you find the way to put those ultimate benefits in your copy, the same thing happens when you're talking to somebody. You just watch it happen in real time. Someone's talking about 
their struggles with launching a program or creating content or finding the time to create a blog post or a podcast episode a week. And you start to hear the struggle, particularly if it's live and and you can see the video because then you can see uh, body language. And I'm attuned to people's struggle because those years on the meditation cushion led me to want to help reduce people's suffering. That's my default setting. So if you see it happening in front of you, just like, oh, let's talk about that. Hold on back up. So I get that you're like having trouble, you know, whether picking the software out or finding a way to get more time to create blog posts. But wait a minute, you don't really like writing, do you? And they're like, actually, no, I hate writing. And I'm like, well, let's talk about that. Like, there's other ways that we can do this. Like, if, if you agree that content marketing is something you want to get into, but you don't like the process of writing and you're, and you're struggling with that, what about just pulling out your iPhone and walking down your favorite trail in the woods and holding it out in front of you and just talking to the camera? And they're like, oh my God, I would love that. It's so easy for me to just flip on the phone and talk to somebody. And I love that. Whereas a person like me, I can't stand that because I don't want to be on camera. But that's just an example of like someone suffering or struggling with something. And I'm just digging down below it. They're trying to find another way that, is, that lines up better with their zone of genius. Like what really the way that wants to come out. And so you just do that in real time. I think that's such an important point. This, this idea of there's more than one way to do any of this and finding the way that works for you whoever you are, I think is such an important part for all of us of our business journey because it allows us to act in a way that one is more comfortable, as you're saying, yep. you know, walk and talk video, not for you, but maybe for some other people. And so doing that, and then by doing that, I think at least when you're operating in a way that aligns with you and more of your comfort zone, it just changes how you engage and present, right? And, and mm -hmm. that creates a different energy that really affects how people perceive and experience you, I would say. For sure. And it, and it allows people, when you take that perspective of helping them align those things, um, people will feel more like they're operating on purpose or with their purpose. And then it's easier to get up in the morning and do things because things are, all the vectors are pointing in the same direction and there's momentum. What else, if anything, would you say you have learned or gained from that study and that time practicing meditation and, and studying Buddhism that influences how you approach uh, business? When I let the practice go finally after, I, I kept it up for a couple of years after my son Noah was born. This was 14 years ago. There was a time where I was like, I realized that building businesses and then helping people to build businesses became the object of focus. So instead of focusing on my thoughts, or the sensation of, of breathing in my stomach or on the tip of my nose, whatever the object of meditation was, my work became the object of focus for the meditation. Instead of going into a retreat with a Zen Roshi and sitting on a cushion and staring at a wall for a week, it was going into the office and focusing on software and teaching people to build websites, which is kind of where I began with all this stuff. And then eventually helping people with marketing and working with people's emotions that came up during consulting sessions, which, you know, people really find that valuable because when you hire someone for marketing strategy help, you don't expect to get a, anyone addressing the emotional side of things. But I do that because it's just, it's part of life. Like these, these are people you're helping, like they have emotions and no one really talks about it. In particular, the emotions around launching products, which is when things will get really challenging, even for people who've done launching a lot. There's a lot of really strong emotions that come up during the process of building a business to the point of sustainability. And I would say that my ability to sustain my attention on a meditation cushion 
focusing on something like a koan when I was studying Zen, to hold one simple question in mind for sometimes months before I would actually solve it and, you know, finally have a meeting with the Roshi and and he was like, oh, good. (laughs) You got it. (laughs) Yeah, it only took three months. (laughs) Being able to sit with with a problem that long allows me to hold space for people and stay focused on ways that I can help them. It also allows me to be in a space where I'm continually learning. I'm building a business, but I'm also, because of the industry that I'm in, there are parts of it that are always moving and changing. Paid ads, SEO, content marketing itself, launching programs, everything shifts almost every year. Something will change. Like two years ago, when Apple decided to put out a tiny little pop-up for people on their phones that says, do you want to allow this app to track you? Yes or no? It's great for us for privacy as users of iPhones. Because you're just like, well, hell no, I don't want Facebook to track me. Good for us as, as humans and users of technology. Really bad for marketers <laughs> who were marketing on Facebook. You know, I was one of them uh, with my wife. And seeing some really good returns on, on, on ads on Facebook for things that should have not have worked based on, you know, again, pre- best practices. Meaning like we were running ad campaigns from Facebook to a cold audience to a long-form sales page that was over 100 pages long. 100 pages? That's yeah, insane. Yeah, dude, I didn't realize how long it was. But over the years, we just kept <laughs> updating it. And like, I finally like did a backup of the sales page, and it was 100 pages in Google Docs. I mean, a lot of those were testimonials and photos and stuff. But like, holy cow, it's a long sales page. Long-form sales pages have been proven to overperform short-form. I will say that. There's all kinds of studies. So... But that is a bit excessive. But sending traffic from Facebook to a cold audience, a lookalike audience, to a very long-form sales page for a program that was $1,000 with you know payment plan options, that should not work. Now, you ask any Facebook ad expert about how to build a funnel, that's not the way to do it. But I was just like, we were in the middle of a launch. Actually, it was the beginning of the launch. And I was like, you know what? We've never tried Facebook ads. So two days into the launch, I was like, oh, I'll just create an audience and create some ad copy and some creatives and throw it up and we'll just see what happens. We'll spend a thousand dollars and just whatever. It's just an experiment, right? I kept watching the stats and a day later I was like, Oh my God, Holy cow. We just got a four X return. I'm stepping on the gas pedal. I think we put in somewhere between 10 and $12,000 into that ad, that ad campaign for two and a half weeks and got a seven X return from someone who did not know how to set up Facebook. I was just like <laughs> bumping around. But that was back in the days when it was it was kind of easy. Right. And it was working really well. Before you continue, this is a caution. Yeah, back in the days, he said, because no one's probably getting a 7X ROI no. on stuff. I, back in, in my, when I had my psychotherapy practice and was doing uh, Google ads, I was able to get some pretty insane ROI numbers too that no one can get today because of changes in the landscape and competition and other stuff. So, yeah. so yeah, so that was two years ago. And so continue where you were. I'm um, sorry. Two years ago, um, Apple released this thing for privacy with the release of iOS 14. And that kind of popped the balloon for all of us who were doing Facebook and Instagram ads. It took away the ability for us to target ads to people in our specific audience because, you know, Facebook was tracking people all over the place and they knew a lot of things about 
you and your friends and the friends of friends. And so you could build an audience of millions of people who have the, the interests and the kind of values that you wanted to target. And it was very easy to get in front of a lot of people that didn't know who you were by spending a little bit of money. iOS 14 came out and then we suddenly could not track people anymore through Facebook and couldn't target well. And I think we ended up spending... This might be a little, well, it was shocking for us at the time. It might not be shocking for some people. We spent a lot more money on ads, but I think we spent $80,000 in Facebook ads in that year and we broke even, which is ridiculous. No ROI. It was like saved our skins and like, okay, that did not work. <laughs> Things are always moving. And previously I was talking about just this need to always, always be learning. There's a thing in sales where it's like, you know, this phrase of always be closing. I would rather always be learning and just tracking stuff. Mm-hmm. And then always be listening to people and helping people realize what the current trends are in the space and find ways for them to line up their approach to marketing or teaching courses, you know, the format of courses with what's popular and the way that people are wanting to consume content these days. Things are always changing. I'm honest with people in that it's things aren't as easy as they were even two years ago. And that's true across the board with content marketing, social media marketing, paid ads, content marketing, and just getting people from publishing stuff. It's, it's not that it doesn't work. It's just that I want people and to know that it's not like it was three years ago. If you're mm-hmm. reading blog posts or listening to podcasts from people who are basing their knowledge off of stuff that was working a while back. I mean, and this is true with a lot of the big names out there. They started back in 2006, 2007, when all this stuff was brand new. And no one was doing it and no one knew what content marketing was. And no one knew that when you started getting, you know, an email a day from somebody that that was leading to launching a program and selling something or that when you jumped on a webinar that was 90 minutes that you were going to be pitched something at the end because it was all new. And you were just like fall into it and like, oh my God, I'm, wow, this is so cool. I'm going to buy it. And then just like, you're done. The credit card's gone. And like, you already bought the thing. And you realize that you were in somebody's marketing funnel because no one knew what they were. So A lot of people got started who have had big success back when things were super easy and they were the first ones. And it's not, that's not the case right now. Um, I'm thinking of a woman who I had a discovery call with a couple weeks ago who was new to this stuff. And I was giving her some reality checks like I do. And I knew that she wasn't going to turn into a client just based on her reactions. And because at one point she said, okay, what about the good news? And I'm like, okay, it's harder but some of it's still working. It just takes longer. And if you're going to do paid ads, you have to spend more money to see a similar ROI. And it takes, and that's riskier because you, you don't know if it's going to work and you got to watch the numbers and you have to hire someone who's very skilled at, at doing Google ads or Facebook ads or Instagram ads. And then you got to, you got to track it daily and tweak things and get it working. Like it still can work. Like Instagram, for example, is working really good right now for some e-commerce products. Like, right, which is why I see like 8 million ads for some little whiteboard that I can put in front of my keyboard, right? Because right. clearly they're selling plenty of them. Yeah, and Instagram's ad algorithm is actually, I think it's the best out of any social media platform. I will sometimes just scroll on Instagram because I want to see what ads it puts in front of me because I find really useful things. That doesn't come up anywhere else. Twitter, I block every single ad I see because they're not relevant to me at all. I'm not on Facebook anymore, so I don't know what's going on there. But I go to Facebook once a year and scroll just to see what's happening. And it's the same (laughs) every year. Some of the things that I'm hearing here, one is 
some of the tools and strategies that have historically worked can still work, but they don't necessarily work as quickly. They don't necessarily produce the same sort of return and whatnot. But let me ask you this. So what do you think, what would you say like right now today, what are the say three to five kind of biggest misperceptions that people are showing up with about how to build business? Where are people getting it wrong? And what are some some more accurate truths that you would share about that? People will often show up on a call with me and they want to get a website built and an online course and start selling it in sometimes under three months. Sometimes it's like one month. That's a big red flag for me. And and then I will say something like, okay, it's going to take a bit longer than that. And let's start to unpack this. And I'll just go through the list of like how long certain things take. But I think this is one of the big misperceptions is how long it takes. And always, people always think it's going to be a lot faster than they, than they think. Just to give a broad overview, it can take you starting from zero miles an hour to the point of launching a course and having people buy it. It's reasonable to get that done. And there's so many variables of this, but like it's four to six months is like a comfortable pace, but that doesn't include building a list, which can take a lot longer. So if you don't have an audience to launch your program to, that means you're launching on social media and those people aren't super warm with you. Like they follow you, but you don't know how closely and you post things, but it's not as intimate as showing up in somebody's inbox. So the speed at which it takes is a big one. There's also a misperception of how much it will cost to get it done. And either in terms of your time, or hiring someone to get it done. So there's always two paths here that you can take. You either have lots of extra time and not much money, so you're gonna do everything yourself, which is slower, because you have to DIY everything. Website, copywriting, brand design, graphic creation, all that stuff. Creating content, writing, like you do the, and I've done that path where I wore all the hats and that's how I learned all this stuff is I did it myself. It's not the easiest path to take, and I wouldn't recommend it for most people because it's it's very stressful. The other path is you have some money to spend and then you identify the best places to spend that money to get the biggest bang for your buck and minimize the things that you have to learn and do yourself. So if you look, if you look at that path, then you're, then you're into like, okay, how much is this going to cost? Well, let's start with the tech piece. You need this and this and you need a website. You need a place to put your course content. You need video streaming. You need audio recording stuff. You need a video camera. Lots of ways to minimize that stuff and use your iPhone and a simple web, a webcam. If you hire someone to build it on this particular platform with these seven apps tied together, it'll probably take two to three months just for the tech platform to get built because you're hiring freelancers that are busy and that they serve multiple clients at a time. That's just the tech piece. And then, you know, the tech piece, your web presence is basically like an empty house when it's built. There's nothing in it. So you have to put photos, which means you got to hire a photographer. And if you don't study copywriting, and in particular, conversion copywriting, which are words designed to get people to take an action, you need to hire a copywriter for homepage, about page, sales page for your course or consulting if you're going to start with that. This is where people's eyebrows almost always raise because if you've never done this before, you don't realize how much copywriters cost. Finding a good copywriter who knows how to do conversion copywriting, you're looking at anywhere between $4,000 and $10,000 for a batch of pages to get your site started. And that's not including a long form sales page. That would be like homepage, about page, services page, and a short form, here's my consulting, like two or three pages of copy. 
But if you're going to do a long form sales page, not 100 pages, but something long that converts well, those can be anywhere between 10 and $30,000 if you're hiring someone who knows what they're doing and is really good. That sounds like a lot of money if you've never heard these numbers before for copywriters, but that is without a doubt the best place you can spend money in the beginning is on a, a really talented conversion copywriter because they know how to get words in front of your audience that gets them to resonate with you and to know, like, and trust you, which leads to them wanting to get on your email list, sign up for your free offer, your free webinar, your ebook, and then eventually to buy whatever you're selling. So you will most likely see the biggest ROI on copywriters in the beginning. So the misperception of how long it will take, how much it's going to cost. And then I wouldn't say that there's so much a misperception about this third thing as, as much as they don't know. And the, and the thing is that they don't know is that how much they can make and when that money is going to start showing up because there's so many variables. How much does your course cost? How big is your list when you launch it? Like if you have 300 people and you're launching a $500 course, if you run the conversion numbers, you might sell five seats. And that's another reality check that tends to not land really well for people. But if that's you're in like at that point, you're interfacing with reality. And like, oh, okay. So that now work this backwards. And I like it would be really good if I had two thousand people to launch this to before I ever launch it. Because then you run the conversion numbers backwards of launching a program with free content going out. Every email that goes out to announce a free piece of content, if you're lucky. 8% of the people on your list will open it. So you just do the math, man. Not many people are opening your emails. Luckier, and you have a higher conversion rate of, um, sorry, of open rates, then you're getting 40, 50% of the people. So like, that's cool. Even being generous like that, of the 50% of the people that open your emails, how many make it to the sales page and end up buying on a good day out of your entire list and go through a whole launch? It's eight to 12%. So you can look at your list and if everything is checked with a green light, you're solving problems. It's for marketing people who, who know and like and trust you. You're really helping them. The content's good. The price point is right. You just look at your list size and, and that, that, that's the harsh reality is that you're getting maybe 10% of the people signing up. If it doesn't go well, it's more like 2 or 3%, which is like, that's good for e-commerce, for physical products for random people coming from ads to a, a page to buy whatever wallets, backpacks or whatever, like you name it. That's normal. One to 2% conversion rate for buying stuff is normal on the web. It's a little bit better for information products because you're building a relationship with people on your list. That's what this whole game is about. It's not really about how big your list is. It's about how warm the relationship is with the people on your list. We've done multiple, multiple six figure launches with what would be considered very tiny lists of at the time we started hitting that those numbers it was like six seven thousand people on a list we should not be able to get that much money out of a list that size but we were and the reason was is that we built a really good relationship with people on that list and we were consistently publishing stuff and it was things that they liked and we were not selling to them except for a couple times a year another version of serving the person first and really just focusing on serving them Exactly. That's that philosophy, help first, sell later, but to, to the extreme of like, you know, we were helping people 95% of the year and then 5% of the year, they get a bunch of emails from us about a program launching with, again, more free content that helps them. And then a little bit of like, here's how this program can help you. Here's what people have gotten out of it. Here's the problems it solves. Here's when it starts. Here's the costs. Go to our sales page, you know, 
Um, and there's lots of ways to do that that are non-smarmy and non-aggressive. And a lot of the marketing strategy that I help people do is in that approach, is that how do we interface with, with humans who need to hear certain things in order to get their credit card out to buy something, but do it in a way that you don't feel icky and like a smarmy used car salesman, which a lot of internet marketers look like when I watch what they do. Super aggressive, countdown timers all over the place, sign up by Sunday, by midnight, like really pushy and aggressive. Like that doesn't fly really well for a lot of markets where people are into personal growth in particular. Like that market of people who are into yoga and meditation and making themselves better humans and making the planet better for people, they do not resonate really well with the hyper-masculine, very aggressive marketing styles. There's lots of other ways to do it. Well, and even to the extent I would offer that it does work, the kind of people it works for are people who are not going to be a good fit for what's being sold. And so it's, again, a situation where even if you get customers or clients, they're not likely to be happy ones. They're not likely to be long-term ones or good fit yep. clients anyway. Yep, exactly. So, so I want to give you a scenario here. So let's say you've got somebody who has, I'll say an established business has been, you know, been in business for a while. They're doing okay, meaning they're making enough money to pay their bills and have a little leftover, but they're really wanting to say, take it, grow it and build, you know, build some things. Where, where would you suggest is probably the most useful place to focus their attention or energy on taking it and then pushing it to the next level? There's definitely, and it depends. <laughs> like, I would just start asking questions about that specific business. So speaking in generalities isn't always super easy. I'll try to answer generally. And so the way that I would answer that is there are fundamentals that, that are not likely to change for a long time. One fundamental in particular is that people do not like to be sold to. The flip side of that is that people like reading stories or hearing stories. You combine those two together with social media and it's a great platform if you find a channel that you like, we'll just pick with Instagram as an example, to put up a photo and tell a reasonably short story, longer than 250 characters, but like not so much as, not a 2000 word blog post length of a story. You're telling a story with a photo on Instagram. And because of the way that social media has changed over the last few years with the algorithms, burying any link that you put in a post, because that takes people off of their social media platform and they don't want that. Why? Because the ads are there and that's how they make money. So if you link someone off to your website, they're suddenly going away from Instagram and Instagram does not want that. So that's why it's very difficult. You can't even do link and bio anymore because now the algorithms know that if you say that phrase, you're trying to get people away from Instagram, they'll bury that post too. Same thing on Twitter. If you link off to a blog post that you wrote, that post will not get as much coverage. What you have to do instead, and this is the in the, the category of the things that are still working, is tell stories on social media, whether from your own life or those of clients with details removed. There's lots of different story formats, but one that can work really well is the story of someone going from point A to point B. I was struggling with this. I faced these obstacles. I did this thing and this other thing that really helped me, and now I'm over here. Telling the story of that journey is very basic to human nature and the way that we like to consume information. And if you can make it entertaining and or funny, like humor has worked really well for me in, in my newsletters. You work that into your stories. People get engaged with your content. You train them that whenever they see a post from you, there's going to be an interesting story and they'll get something out of it. And if that happens enough time, 
they will look at your profile and see your website link and go to your website and they will get on your email list if the website is designed properly and you have something for them to sign up for that is valuable to them, not just a, like a one-page PDF that doesn't really help them, but something that's seriously going to make them take a little piece of your knowledge and put it into their life right away and make some small change. And then they're on your email list and that's where the relationship begins. This is like relationship marketing. You know, it's about getting people off of social media and getting them onto your email list because then you can write them letters. Because once once they're on their on your list, then you no longer have to worry about algorithms or Facebook or Instagram doing anything to you or changing things or any any of that. So the audience audience building is what this is part of. That's still working. It's just like how you build the audience is a little more challenging. Social media, if you give me this general general business that's been up and running and they want to grow a little bit um, or a lot finding a way and one particular channel in in the social media sphere that you can really commit to and show up regularly is is a place to do that depending on what the person's selling google ads can still work but they're they're complicated the the google ad manager and the software itself is geared to take your money that is what it's built for that's how they make them their billions of dollars every year is that is that ad manager if you don't monitor it every day, it will start taking your money and not giving you a great return on ad spend because while they do care somewhat about that, they want to they now want to automate everything. Just click this button and Google Ad Manager will just take care of everything for you and they make it sound so easy. They will start putting your ads in front of keywords that are not they're not lining up with search intent so that people will buy the thing that you're actually selling. Meanwhile, you're just paying Google thousands of dollars. So, but it still can work with a skilled Google ad manager. I've had some great success with that. And it's highly recommended that you hire someone who knows what they're doing. This is a great example of a case where I would say for almost everyone, do not do it yourself. Yeah. Um, I say this as somebody who built a business using Google ads when it was Google AdWords. And I wouldn't do it today because it's changed so much. It's so much yeah. more complicated. I, in fact, have a client who it is basically their full-time jobs, right, yeah. is doing it for other people. That's how complex it's gotten. And so it's it's a potentially powerful tool, but it's also, like any powerful tool, potentially really dangerous to your bank account or your credit yes. card balance. Yes, for sure. Another thing that I think is still working, and this comes with a big asterisk, is newsletters are still working. But, and here's the asterisk, a year and a half ago, roughly, there was a big explosion in the popularity of newsletters. And it was like the thing that everyone was going back to because this is kind of where online marketing started back in the late 90s was newsletters and paid newsletters in particular because they were really simple to send out. There are now so many hundreds and thousands of people publishing newsletters that it's very easy to start subscribing to to a bunch of newsletters in in any given space that you're interested in call it a silo or an industry or whatever but like you go in there and there's easily 20 or 30 newsletters that are being published some of them paid some of them that sell products or consulting it always leads to some money most often that the newsletter writer is making you will not be able to read all those newsletters and there's there's a hard limit to how many newsletters people will actually read. And I don't have hard data on this, but I, my hunch is that it's about, it's somewhere between five and 10, if that, 
Oh, I was going to say, I think that's optimistic. I would say between like three and five would be my yeah. own guess. Yes. So whatever the number is, it's not very high. The number of newsletters that people will actually pay for is even lower, even if it's just five bucks a month. Like the content's got to be really good for it to be a paid newsletter. Like I'm going to pay you money just to read what you write me. That that business model is challenging. That said, I do feel like building an audience, whether it's from SEO or social media or some paid ads or showing up on other people's podcasts or guest blog posting, all of these common ways that have worked for a long time, they're still working. It can just sometimes take a little longer. Once they're on your email list, writing them regularly with content that is unique and helpful, your newsletters are going to be educational, informational, entertaining, or useful or helpful in some way. That collection of words tends to be what nails it. If you can find a way for you to do that, and if writing is your thing, newsletters are still working. If you can get on people's radar and you become one of those two or three that they will open every week. And I want to circle back to, you know, when I mentioned that humor has worked in my newsletters, I found a format. I was experimenting with curating newsletters and I found a way to do it where I would curate the, at the time it was the top 10 things. And I narrowed it down to five because they were too long. Like the best five things I found for people in my market, which is people selling information or building a small online business, selling their knowledge. So I started curating anything and everything that could be helpful to them. That was my, that was my radar. And that covers a lot of different stuff. So it's kind of all over the place with topics, but I would find something good from somebody else. I would write a few sentences about what it's about. And out of the five things, I'd probably crack like two or three jokes per newsletter. And the jokes were almost often directed at me. So I'm the target of the humor which is the safest target to, to pick. Self-deprecating humor goes a long way. And I'm not like, when you talk to me, I'm not a naturally funny guy unless I'm in a particular mood. And then it comes out, but in written humor, it takes a while to learn that and to find the ways to weave that in. And I started studying it and found ways to do it. And I built up an audience of people who just love to read whatever I wrote. And, and after a while, I started experimenting with different content and it didn't seem, people didn't seem to care if I curated or wrote my own stories about something I was going through. I had trained them. They see a weird subject line because I would always write the subject line as puns. And again, this is not a best practice. You don't read the like, oh, you should make your subject lines into funny puns. No one says that, but it just the thing that I did. And people knew that when they saw an odd looking subject line that it was me and they knew when they opened it, they were going to have a good time. And I trained them to do that. So my open rates are like 60 or 70% in the newsletter, which is crazy. So I found a way to write about boring business stuff that made people laugh or at least smirk and feel good and kind of funny. And that has worked really well. So if you can find, and I'm not saying you have to learn how to do humor writing, but like find your thing, write as if you're writing to a friend who happens to be someone in your market. And that will create a warmth and a connection with people. So newsletters are still working as a way to, once you get people in your audience, to grow that connection so that when you do get to the point of like putting something in front of them to buy, they already like you. And they're like, just sell me something already. Like, come on. One thing you said, I, with all of this, I'm, I won't get the, the quote right. Or in fact, I won't even try, but there's the, the bit about people always remember how you made them feel. And that's, I think, the piece that you're really hitting on here is creating content that evokes emotion for people. Yeah, key, that bingo. Ding, 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 ding. 
humor is powerful. Story is powerful. Any of those things, because it evokes emotion for people. And that is a thing that causes you to kind of to stick for it for them. And then when you're tying that to things that are relevant, useful, and what have you, then that becomes a place where you you stay in their mind, you become more memorable, it starts to build and support that connection. Yes. And I want to tie this back to one thing you were talking about with the idea of, of lead magnets. And again, related to that, you're like, you know, not a one page PDF. Uh, I would suggest that and you can tell me what your thoughts on this is that at the end of the day with lead magnets, I think the key is that it's something that people can take and put into action and experience a benefit from in a fairly simple and straightforward way. So I would say it could be a one-page PDF if it is a one-page PDF that is specifically going to get people taking action in some way that is going to lead to some fairly concrete benefit or result to them. Yes. If you can deliver that one page, you're, you're a rock star. But here's the thing with lead magnets. People want to get a taste of what you're up to. They don't want to sit for an hour and plow through a thing that's going to cause them to put a lot of mental effort into and there's so much stuff in there they could have plugged in the other extreme is the one page fluff piece that's not going to really help people so in the middle is like and length doesn't matter like you're saying it's mostly about what the content and how it can help them the way that i tell people to create their lead magnets now is like what could you create in a weekend that takes a handful of hours for you to put together that's not a big stressor for you and that someone could consume in five or ten minutes and get a thing that they can pull out and start immediately plugging into their life and it helps them in some way. That's how you frame a good lean magnet so that it's not too long, it doesn't require them to work too hard, and they see results right away. That's what will get them to continue reading whatever emails you send out in the future. So the, the, and again, the key is not the length. And that's this is one of those spots people get caught up right and things like that. How long should it be? Well, it should be as long as it needs to be to accomplish exactly. that goal right. is really what it comes comes down to. So. In thinking about all, all of this, as, as you've been articulating, there's one, a lot here. This is really complex. It's evolved. It's changed. Some of it's a pain in the butt to do, et cetera. And so underlying all of this, the question that's been coming up in my head is, why would you keep doing this for so long as it's changed and evolved and been more complicated and challenging? Like, What drives you today to do this work? So I like learning complex things and turning around and explaining it in very simple terms to people. This space of building your own business online, every single part of it is complex and it's hard. That's both a challenge and an opportunity because if it was a lot easier, everybody else would be doing it and you have even more competition. It's gotten easier as things go on and the software gets better and it gets much more easier to put up a website and start publishing content. And now, as of today, ChatGPT version four is out so now everybody's going nuts, particularly content marketers and people creating ads and doing SEO are going crazy because you can type in a couple of prompts into chat GPT and have it create a blog post for you in about 10 seconds. And it's like surprisingly well-written. It's at college level writing. You know, there's a lot of asterisks on that, but it's the complexity and the fact that things are continuing to move and evolve always. It just keeps you on your feet. I'm, I'm going to be learning until I can't breathe anymore. And so I'm in a space where things are always moving and changing. AI writing is just the thing that's currently on the hot topic. So I'm learning about that and how, how ways it can be used to help people to make their process of growing their business easier. The thing I'm hearing here is for you, this is, so this is content in a topic area 
that because of who you are and how you're wired is really interesting and compelling to you, right? That the the changes, the continuing to evolve, to learn yeah. is, is... So one, it's a challenge, but it's a challenge that you're like, this is cool. And then two, it gives the opportunity for you to take this and make it accessible, available, to do it for others, that sort of a thing, so they don't have to. And I yeah. think that hits what is, to me one of the, the things in figuring out like, what is it that I should do as far as building a business? Cause people are always looking for like, you know, the hot topic or the hot area or whatever. And I'm like, do the thing that's compelling enough to you that you'll keep doing it when it's challenging, as it evolves, when it yeah. changes, when it's whatever, when you're doing it for the 450th time. Yeah. Because that one, not everyone is. And two, that's going to be necessary. And then when you can do that, if you have the ability then and share that, boil that down to provide something from it to other people that gives you the ability to provide value in a sustainable way that is also interesting to you. Because at the end of the day, one of the takeaways here that is probably clear to everyone by now is this isn't fast. This building a business, growing a business, it's not fast. You have to be interested enough in what you're doing to be willing to stick with it when it takes a long time, when it gets bumpy, yep. when it gets messy. And I think that's the thing I'm hearing for you is because of who you are and your nature, that learning and figuring out and dialing in and testing the intricacies of this is something that continues to be interesting to you, even after doing it for whatever, 15 plus years. I will put a caveat on that just to have people interact with reality. I want to unpack that in, in, a, in a very concrete way with the topic of SEO, which is just one part of a, like there's about 10 big areas and SEO is part of marketing and getting traffic. And and so, you know, I had great success with SEO in the past, not knowing much about it and just doing the basics of on-site optimization. Uh, several years ago, that was really easy. <laughs> you get great results, not trying very hard and learning a little bit about the science of SEO. At this point, it's way more competitive, particularly the space that I'm in. And my knowledge as of over the last couple of years in SEO wasn't advanced enough to realize why it had stopped working. And so I would often look at my reports of me losing my top three position. I was in the one, two, and three spot for a long, long time, which is where all the traffic goes. I lost that spot because things got really competitive in my space, particularly with software reviews. And every time I would see my reports, which would come every couple of days from my SEO software, I'd get this heavy emotion of like, God damn it, it's not working. I'm not up there anymore. And I'd watch myself slide further and further down the first page and then get bumped to the second page. And I'm like, oh my God. And then every time I see that report, sometimes I just didn't open it because the emotions were too strong. Heavy, sad, frustrated. Why isn't this working anymore? And that, would ke that kept evolving you know, over a year and a half of that. It got to the point where even though in the past I'd been excited about SEO because, because it is complicated and I like the complexity and I like learning all this stuff, I hadn't upgraded my knowledge and it wasn't working and my engine was starting to not work so well. And I lost a lot of traffic. And then I got to a point where I wanted to blow the whole thing up. I just like, screw it. I've been in this space for 14 years. It's not working anymore. I'm going to do something else. I'm out of here, man. When I get out of the swamp this time, I'm not going back to this space. I'm so pissed off at Google for changing the algorithm so much and bumping me off to the first page because I lost all my traffic. So I went off for a while and focused on some other things. And, you know, 
just like chucked the grenade over my shoulder and said, bye. An explosion happening behind me, got my sunglasses on and walking off towards the camera, just blew it up. And now <laughs> I've come back to it because other options aren't as appealing and they don't work out as well when you start to line things up. And now I've gone whole hog and I'm way, way down in the SEO rabbit hole further than I've ever been to answer one question, which was, can I rebuild this engine and get it working again without hiring someone, an SEO specialist for $6,000 to tell me if that's possible. So I'm going all in and I'm happy and excited to report that yes, it's possible. Things are changing and evolving weekly, um, even just in the SEO space, but it is possible. And that's one of the things that keeps me going. I just wanted to put that out there because it's not like, you know, I'm in love with all the complexity all the time and it keeps me going. Because sometimes I hate some of this stuff. I hate a lot of the marketing tactics that I see people doing on the web. Yes, they work. Yes, they make millions of dollars whenever they launch a program. Would I want to do what they do to make that million dollars or three million when they launch? No, won't do it. I'm not running a webinar like that. And I'm not going to pitch people at the end the way that you pitch them. But I don't want to do the things that's required to pull that off because it's not the kind of life I want to live. The second thing I wanted to come back to is the other reason, aside from the way that my personality matches up with the complexity of this knowledge space, the other reason is, is what's beneath my desire to help people. And it's from my, my own struggle of going from living in a teepee up in the woods outside of Boulder where I live. This was, I want to say, 25, 26 years ago. I made $7,000 a year, so below poverty level. Living in a teepee, I was on a path that involved a lot of Native American spirituality. And I never went to the classroom where you learn how to make money at that point. And I struggled hard with it. And I know that emotional weight of that intimately. I was there and it was very hard. And I didn't know how to get out of it. I didn't know how to make money aside from using my body on a construction site. Like that was it. There was this thing that I used to do because of where I lived, which was in Gold Hill outside of boulder there's a lot of gold mines up there i had a lot of time in my hands because i wasn't spending it you know doing things that would bring in money because i didn't know how and i liked being in the woods so i would often walk around the old gold mines back there just feeling like somewhere in one of these creeks or around one of these mines one of those miners from the 1800s probably left a nugget and or the rain would wash it away and i'm gonna find a chunk you know a good, like, large marble-sized nugget worth, uh, whatever, $80,000, and that'll, that's going to solve everything. It'll pull me out of this, and I'll be able to build a new life. This sounds ridiculous to say it out loud, but whenever I go on a hike, I'm always scanning the ground, looking for gold. Never found any of it, and I won't drag you through the entire timeline, but I eventually got to a place where I had gathered enough knowledge about how to build an online business and do every single part of it myself, which was very challenging to learn all that stuff. And one time after I realized that I had all this knowledge, I was like, you know what? This is crazy. Someone can take my laptop. They could take my phone. They could take my house. They could take all my money. And in about a month and a half, I would be fine. Why? Because I found the golden nugget. It's the knowledge that I created and gathered over time to run a business like this, to build the pieces, to get the engine running, to bring people in to your content and help them. That was the golden nugget. As corny as this sounds, that golden nugget 
is what I get inspired by to help people learn. I want to give people the knowledge that no one can take away so that they can take care of themselves and take care of their family based on the experience in life and the knowledge they have. That's a great story. This is the kind of story you can tell on social media or in a YouTube video. I've told it on stage before. The time I told it on stage, I included the part where I was eating canned corn and that like distracted everybody and everybody laughed like me, the image of me sitting in a teepee eating canned corn for dinner because that's all I could afford. But you put elements of things in the story, but that like that's, hey, that's kind of what keeps me interested in this space. It's challenging. It's hard. I know what people are going through on the emotional side and I want to help people. You put all those things together and that's what keeps me showing up. I know that pain and it's hard. I've been a puddle of tears in the kitchen floor, not knowing how we were going to make it. And that's real, man. That's human being an entrepreneur and trying to figure things out and take care of yourself and your family. It's really hard. So that's, I like helping people through that and making it easier because I know both the pain and I know what it can be like when the income gets really good and the lifestyle that that can open up for you is pretty amazing. All right, Forrest. So one of the things I like to do with my guests is to put on my coaching hat for a few minutes and give them a chance to talk about something rather than the upside and the success aspect of business, but to look at the part where maybe they're having a little bit of difficulty or struggle and for us to dig into that a little bit and uh, for me to um, take some time to do a little coaching with them. You up for that? Sure, man. All right. So, so what, what would be um, a thing for you, something that you're struggling with or just feeling kind of stuck on right now in your business? It's a bit of a slog right now to go way into the SEO world, which is where I'm going because the, the affiliate revenue model is the part of my business that I've, I've had the most momentum with for a number of reasons is the, is the model that works best for my challenges with health and fatigue and Lyme disease and all this stuff. I don't want to drag it down with that, but it's a, it's a model that works really well. I have struggled with SEO over the last couple of years and I can see the path now and I know what it's going to take to get back to where I want to be, but it's going to take a while. And my desire to do consulting is waning. It may seem contradictory to things I said earlier in our chat, but I love helping people and it's also taxing on me. I'm introverted and I'm fine one-on-one with people, particularly in consulting sessions, but interacting with people about their business can sometimes take a lot of energy out of me. Like it takes a lot to hold all of the details and everything they're trying to build and like hold it all for them and with them and then help them map out a plan together with them for moving things forward. And it's over multiple sessions and sometimes multiple months. And it and it does take, um, in some cases with some clients, it does take a lot of energy. Other clients, it's it's easy and it's fun. I'm in a, a transition of previously wanting to step away from Clarity Lab completely and go into clean energy, which we've chatted about offline. And that opportunity could take a while to bear fruit in terms of money that I can deposit in my account. In the meantime, I'm following my own advice that I tell clients, which is find the thing where you have the most momentum and step on the gas pedal with that. So that's what I'm doing with the with the SEO and the affiliate marketing stuff. It's going to be a lot of work and it's not all enjoyable. Like the amount of content that I have to create is is challenging. So I guess the the rub in there for me is like we ran into an issue with my wife's last launch where it did about as, as half as good as we thought it was going to do. 
And we've heard from dozens of people in, in the industry that are selling courses and programs right now that that's happening across the board. So that created a gap in our income. And the rub for me is finding a way to fill that this year. The path I'm taking is not super fast. Doing things with SEO is always a game of like, you, you do the best you can with new content, and then you can sometimes wait for three or four months before you see results. So we got to figure something out this year before the year is over. That's where there's emotions. <laughs> it's just plain old financial stress mixed with business strategy and lining up what I want to do with what the world wants and how I can make money right now. It's all the stuff we were chatting about before, but now it's real because this is like my version of that, of where I'm at in this moment with my business. What I think I'm hearing the the outcome you're trying to get to is figuring out how do I come up with a one, a plan or a solution to close this gap that's there, but number two, to do it in a way that feels, um, I'll say good or feels like it's, that aligns with you and your reality, right? Your energy, the yeah. realities of the market and other things. Yeah, that's correct. I feel like the the key is to go down this path of, of um, where I've had success before and creating a lot of helpful content and then directing them, people who come to the site eventually to a page about a piece of software that can allow them to plug in some of the strategies that I'm teaching about. And then, of course, it's all transparent. If you sign up for a free trial of this through my link, I'll make a small commission. That's the game. I've had tremendous, tremendous success with this stuff. It's just that it's slow and there's parts of it that are unpredictable and Google could change their algorithm in an unfavorable way. They just put out a big review update to their software, to the algorithms for Google. I ended up benefiting from that because my reviews are very long and very helpful. That's the kind of content they want to see in their reviews. But it takes a long time to write a 10,000 word software review because I test the software for like a week, taking notes, write the review, optimize it. it, takes 40 hours to do all this SEO work on a post like that. But a really well-written software review can make hundreds of thousands of dollars just from one blog post. So it's worth it. It's just it's slow. So I think what I'm hearing is this is not so much a, I don't know what to do, but it's a, I'm not totally sure how to accomplish it, or I have concerns about my ability to accomplish it as one piece. And then a secondary concern, I have some fears around what Google might do or how things might change in a way that could upend it. Is that right? That's pretty accurate. And there's also a time factor of like, how long will it really take? Because sometimes I can see results in a week. Other times it could take nine months and it's really, it's just so unpredictable and looking at it from outside of myself and giving myself advice, it's not smart to put all your eggs in one basket, particularly when that basket is Google, because they can trash your entire revenue model overnight by upgrading their, the way their algorithms work. So it's not smart to do that. And I know that. And I also know all of the options for bringing in revenue from other ways through the audience that I build, and I don't want to do them. I know them all, and I teach people how to do them. It's just, I'm, I'm, for example, I don't want to create an online course right now. I've done it, and it's a lot of work, and I know exactly what's involved within, and I know where my knowledge set is, and it's not in the cards right now. So I'm going whole hog into the affiliate marketing space and SEO and upgrading my knowledge there, and it's going to take time, and the time, the time part is stressful. It's not like we're, we're going to be out on the street at all. And we've got other launches coming up for my wife's business. 
that will hopefully help, but there's something going on and people aren't buying as much online courses. So we, it's um, that's the stress of launching is you never know how it's going to go. Even when you've done 15 of them with the same program and they've always gone well and they follow the pattern of spike in the beginning, it drops down in the middle and no one buys stuff in the middle. And then almost everybody buys in the last 24 hours. Sometimes 80% of the sales come in the last 24 hours. That's stressful. And we just had a launch where there wasn't really a spike at the end. That was the first time that's ever happened. So it's a, it's a time and effort. And and I like being a one-man show. It's fast and flexible and I can do all the things that need to be done. It's just the decision to be a one-man show is also slowing me down. And I think one of the things I'm hearing is the uncertainty of it seems to be unsettling to you. And my impression is that that's possibly distracting you from your own awareness and knowledge of your history of doing this stuff, of evolving what you do and how you do it as things have evolved and continue to transform and shift what you do as needed and maybe getting in the way of recognizing that you could do that again if you needed to, right? Yeah, that's a good point. So, yes, you know, there's this, the, I don't know who said it, but it's like to not let fear stop you from doing the thing. You just, you just feel the fear and you do it anyway. That's what makes people brave. It's not that brave people are not afraid. There is that un, unknowability and the uncertainty of running any kind of online business. It brings up a lot of fear in people. And it does the same for me and my wife too. It's just that we don't often lay it all out there for people. It's, it's the fear of the unknown. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Now I'm wondering for you, how have you, when you've been facing fear and fear of the unknown and this un sort of uncertainty, how have you successfully tackled that historically? Using the fear itself as an object of meditation and sitting with it and journaling has been my big outlet. Uh, I will sort out a lot of things just by writing. I'm not in a really stressful space right now, but the bigger picture, if I look at the whole year, then I'll feel the stress. Because then I see the timeline and the deadline of like, oh, that's a large pile of money. We need a little bit of a gap there. Like, oh, doggy. Like, you know, so if I look at the whole year, then I get stressed out. But in the moment, I'm I'm quite okay. Actually, I'm enjoying learning a lot about SEO and like, oh, 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 I didn't know that. That's not a big deal. Like I can, it'll take a little time to write all those articles, but now I see how to structure them and connect them together so that I'm dominating this particular topic and that will help me a lot because I've never actually done that. I've just done the software reviews. So yeah, giving myself perspective and sitting with, with the actual uncertainty until it unfolds and I get to the fear underneath and realize that I've felt this fear often in the past and I've always gotten through it. And things ended up being fine and I learned a lot in the process. So. I think that's super important as well as one of the things you pointed out is is when you focus on the whole thing, the whole year, that's when it becomes overwhelming. That's because you're getting out into the future, right? And I can say yep. that's where anxiety lives. It lives out in the future. Yeah, you're practicing failure in the future. Right. And the, the one of the ways I put it to people, which only works if they play golf, is I'm like, when you're about to hit your tee shot, you know, on, on, the, on the first tee, are you thinking about how you're going to hit your approach shot to the 18th green? No, of course not. And you'll, you'll deal with it when you get there. And if you've played golf and you've dealt with enough situations, you'll, you know, you deal with the next thing as it comes. And when we stay present, right, that helps us, helps us to do that. So oh, yeah. I have a different metaphor that I actually use when I help people with the same problem is like, don't, if you're on a hike and you're trying to get to the summit, don't stare at the summit while you're hiking. 
you'll feel like really overwhelmed with like, oh my God, it's eight miles away and we're going to be hiking for five hours. Just stare at the next five steps in front of you and that's it. And you keep doing that the whole way up and you'll eventually be there. That applies to me as well. It's just much easier to give that advice to other people than it is to apply it to myself, right? Yeah, yeah. As, is, as is so often the case, right? We have a hard time finding the perspective and this is where just getting um, some outside perspective can be can be helpful. And I, I, I agree with you about that, looking just a little bit ahead. The other part that I think can be helpful is when we look, like to use your climbing the mountain metaphor, is if we look down at how far we've come and we yeah. recognize we've covered all that ground. And I think here, especially with your history, this isn't a new thing for you. This is a world you're familiar in. Sure, some of the rules have changed and the way the game's being played has changed, but you know how to play it. You know how to adapt and all that. You've covered yeah. that ground. And it's the same way that climbing the rest of the mountain is going to be some different challenges, but a lot of them are the same fundamental ideas and skills. And so, yeah. I feel like you're just holding, you're holding up things I said in the last hour and a half of talking that I said to you. <laughs> and now I'm, I'm hearing it like, oh yeah, he's right. He's, that's really helpful. <laughs> when I actually open up and be vulnerable about my own challenges and hear the kind of advice that I give to people, it's actually really helpful. So thank you for doing that. I appreciate that. So one, you're welcome. And two, so often that's what we all just need is someone to see and pay attention and reflect because a lot of the time, not always true, but a lot of the time we have a lot of the things that we need, but we don't necessarily have the clarity of that or yeah. the right perspective on it. I, I often say a big part of my job as a coach is really helping or to give or show them a new or different perspective or get them unstuck from the one that they're in so they can yeah. see things you know, a different way. And so often I'm, I, my job is just like, yeah, but hey, why don't you go look over there? Do you see what's there? Or yeah. look over, you know, because they're, they're just focused on this this one thing. There's obviously a lot more to, to it than that, but that is uh, certainly a core concept of it, which is something that we all at times need. Even those of us who are trained in and know this stuff, um, it turns out. <laughs> I like this too, because you flipping the tables and asking me this allows me to like forces me to test everything I just said over the last hour and a half. Like, did I really mean all that? Cause now he's asking me these questions and I'm having to like lay this on the table and it just sort of tests the metal. Like, do I believe my own core principles? You know? And I do, it doesn't make it any easier when they're turned back on me and I'm having my own emotions about stuff, but that's, this is just the reality of, of doing business. And, making it through life you know it's not easy definitely not easy but if one picks the right things and takes the right perspective it's i think doable i would say yeah yeah for sure <laughs> there's so much good stuff here and we could talk about any of these things in in great depth but for people who want to learn more about you about your work to sign up for your list and all of that where is the best place for them to find you online claritylab.co i'm on twitter and post out news at um at forest linden in both spots i'm not on twitter that much anymore and although i'm starting to go back um, i'm on both of those platforms post out news is a kind of a twitter replacement for people who wanted to get away from the toxicity that was happening on twitter i don't post a lot about business stuff i primarily curate climate change news and political stuff that's kind of what social media has been for me for a long time is an outlet to do that. I don't really have a media social media presence for my business right now, but claritylab.co is where you can go to find out what I'm up to over there. Um, that's, yeah, that's my spot on the web. 
Awesome. Okay. So I'll put links for all of that in the show notes. And I just want to say thank you for one, taking the time to to come talk to me. And then two, just for sharing. There's so much good, useful, applicable information here, doing exactly the same thing that I'm sure you're doing with your clients, right? Is providing all of this information, all of these resources, all of these ideas, really powerful stuff. So I appreciate you taking the time to come on and share all that with us today. You bet, man. It's been great to chat. I mean, we could go for hours on any one of those topics. So. Yeah, we def- definitely could. And see, we didn't even get to, to Zwift or any of that other stuff. So yeah. I'll have to, have to have another conversation. Hey, it's Steve. If you enjoyed the show, I have a small favor to ask. If you wouldn't mind taking just a few minutes to go to iTunes and leave a review for the show, it'll help more people become aware of it. It'll help me serve more people. Really appreciate it. Catch you next time.